History happened everywhere. The verdict. Out of office. This is our after show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, Panic in Grenada, from 1750 to 1800. So if you haven't listened to that, go back, check it out, or you will find spoilers ahead. Excuse me, is that a violent rapping in my back gallery, I hear? Hello and welcome to History Happened Everywhere. I'm your host, Pete Goddard. I'm here with my co-host, Ryan Weir. Hello! How are you? How are you, Ryan? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, I'm good. I, I, I always enjoy sitting down with Mr. Paul Dursley. I saw an enormous spider this week. I had a very big one on my bedroom curtains. Did you know it before or after you pulled the curtains? Was it one of those swish, scream kind of events? No, I, I don't scream. I like spiders. As you know, I'm pretty short-sighted, so I didn't, ha- didn't have my glasses on. I was just coming into the bedroom yeah. and saw something on the curtains and thought, what's that? Oh. So it was pretty big for me to see it from a distance. How big uh, compared to a banana? Half, half a banana from... Oh, my, that is substantial. That is a huge <laughs> spider. <laughs> The funny thing was the web, if it was the web for that one, was on the outside of the window. So it would obviously come in for a bit of warmth. I I also had uh, a spider on a curtain, but I discovered it because I opened my bedroom curtains, which tightened the material and acted like a trampoline to fling it into my face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! Yeah, that was my reaction. Oh no! With a lot less laughter. So, look, here's the thing. Um, When I was a kid growing up, there was a TV show which I used to watch, and uh, it had a word association game, and I was wondering whether or not we could play that today. Okay, so within this game, you can't pause, you can't hesitate, you can't repeat a word, and you can't say a word I don't like. Right. Understood. All right, let's try apple. Banana. Orange. I thought you were, are you not playing? No, I'm not playing, I'm the judge. Oh. No, you're not. All right, all right, here we go. We're playing for real now. For real, okay, so this is the focus. one. Focus. Focus. Focus on 100% focus. Okay, uh, Pete, we're going to start with you. Spider-Man. Wolverine. No idea. Many ideas. <laughs> 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 okay, uh, Paul, start with you. Levi jeans. Horrible. Spiders. What? Why? What's spider's got to do with Levi jeans? No, I'm relating to his word. Oh, it has to relate to your word. It's so we both have to relate Paul. to your original word. Doesn't go to the next word. No, it goes to the word that he just said. Well, so I, then what's, I, it, what's Levi Jeans got to do? We've moved on to horrible. So he, 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 he said, he said Levi trousers. <laughs> oh, I yeah, said horrible. <laughs> yeah, all so right. he now has to say something to horrible. <laughs> this wasn't like this on the kids show that I watched. <laughs> yeah, all right. Fair point. Oh, my God. So, enough of this nonsense. Let us get on with the show. Finally. And in order to do that, we need to remember what we were doing. Obviously, I have a laser memory of the events, but Ryan, give us the one-minute summary, please. Okie dokie, here we go. Okay, so as an out-of-office episode, it was somewhat fortuitous that the Dursalator selected the lovely Caribbean island of Grenada. Travelling back in time to the 1750s, we found the island in a tug-of-war between French and British colonists who exchanged ownership several times until the end of the Seven-Year War, when France formally ceded all rights to the British. Several years passed peacefully, and the British settled into their familiar routine of exploiting humanity for the sake of profiting of the cheap production of cotton and coffee. Meanwhile, a storm was brewing. Revolutions halfway across the globe gave rise 
televised insurrections within the Caribbean, one Grenadian free man, a Republican called Julien Fedon, gained support from the French to start a rebellion in Grenada. After years of planning on the evening of March 2nd, 1795, Fedon launched his campaign, striking hard at key locations across the island, slaughtering a lot of the townsfolk and taking some men, women and children hostage as leverage against the British response. We heard of the experiences of one such hostage, a man called Dr. John Hay, who recounted in his memoirs several vivid descriptions of life as a prisoner of Fedon's army, including his capture, incarceration and horror at the brutality of his captain. I made Pete some prison food, we drank Grenada rum punch, we met a Frenchman called Graham, and we wondered if Smurfs were French revolutionists. That was last week's episode done, summarised nicely, nice one son, now we're over to a young Dursley who's gonna tell you what he thought of me, he'll take you apart without any care, he's the lovely Paul Dursley. The lovely Paul Dursley. It was light on facts, wasn't it? Oh, I I would beg to differ. I would like to represent my client and suggest it was absolutely rammed with facts as provided by the mighty John Hay. Dr. John Hay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't spend four years at Doctor College to be referred to as John Hay in a podcast. <laughs> well, it's just one thing, wasn't it? And basically all it was all you were doing was reading for most of it. I, I do take that criticism. <laughs> that this was very little in the way of research in that I found someone's memoirs and was able to recount almost word for word what happened in the situation. But okay, what about sonar? Yeah, you know, the bottomless Grand Elang. Yes. So how deep is it well we don't it's know bottomless everyone it's knows bottomless. that yeah it goes through the earth we said in the episode well that, that couldn't happen could it no because it'd get too hot steam at the bottom yes yes <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i want a point i thought i was saying something silly for a moment there <laughs> well i was i was getting excited when you mentioned barbados because mm. i was sort of thinking is barbados actually part of the lesser antilles uh because it sort of sticks out a bit into the ocean but i had to check myself and Yes, unfortunately, it is part of the Lesser Antilles. You could have named the islands. I could have done. There's a lot of them, though. Well, the the name of the group. Oh, I see. Yeah, I could have done, yeah. So does that mean that that represents the end of the Antilles? Is there, are there any other islands beyond that? Well, the Lesser Antilles are because they're small, and the Greater Antilles is because they're big. In size of island? Yes. Okay. So the Greater Antilles are Cuba, Jamaica, Hispaniola, and the American one. They're not often used, though, the Antilles, right, as a name? Like, I, I don't associate no with them. No one says I was at the Antilles having a holiday, do they? They right. tend to refer to the individual nation states. Well, I suppose the other one is the Windward and Leeward Islands, aren't they? What are those? Same, same name for the same things. So why have so many different names for the same thing? That is the nature of the world. I would imagine, knowing what we know about history, that some of it came from the Portuguese, some of it came from the British as we took our turns to roam around yeah. pretending we owned the place. I mean, how do you refer to it? Caribbean and West Indies, I would say, were the most common currency. I have heard the Antilles used, but only a sort of geography-type sense. People say, I went to the Caribbean. Nobody says, I went to the Antilles, I would say. It's like the Latin name of animals or plants. You're like, no one uses those. West Indies, there was only the English-speaking ones. So Guadeloupe, etc., presumably are... Do they have another name? Is there a French... Well, French Overseas Collectives, I think, is what they're called now, aren't they? Because they're actually part of France. That was interesting, wasn't it? The tug of war between the French and the English in, the, in a very short period of time. 
really. You, I, oh, I would have yeah. expected that over like hundreds of years, perhaps, but it was like within 25 years that they were passing it back and forward to each other. Yes, well, it was the sort of the Seven Years' War was the first world, was the or the zeroth World War. You know, it was a global conflict between all British colonies and all French colonies, and the result of that war was a hundred years of power for the winner, basically. Mm. Which, fortunately for us, it was us because the you know France lost, and they basically had to cede every single piece of French territory to us, and then we gave some of it back. Is it just a case of just having a presence there? So the British are there, or you have to be able to defend it? I, I think you have to be able to defend it, but I th- late, I think, and I, I don't know, this is sort of my thoughts, that you know later on in the 19th century, it, it was enough to sort of claim it in the name of, and as long as everybody accepted it and nobody had any particular disagreements, it was accepted, you know, like all of the bits of Antarctica, you know, no one was going to put a fort on Antarctica. Mm. I mean, these are the things that tend to heat up once something useful is found, isn't it? So Ex- exactly. It's all to do with, as you said, whether there's something useful there or, or the potential for something useful. I'm reminded of the modern day island that there's a dispute between the United States and Denmark over, where each country will land, raise their own flag, leave a bottle of whiskey or schnapps, and they leave it. It's an uninhabited island. It's a rock in the middle of the sea. Mm. And they basically just take it in turns to go, no, this is ours. And it's a kind of friendly dispute, if you like. But only because there's nothing of interest there. Well, yeah, as soon as they <laughs> discover there's a gajillion towns of gas underneath, <laughs> I suspect that will heat up as well. The thing that, that never gets mentioned is, of course, that there were people living there in the first place. Mm. The back and forth between Britain and France with no mention of the indigenous population. The indigenous population of Grenada, you know, prior to this tussle between the French and the British, they seemed quite the aggressive type. Yes, they seemed quite fe- feisty, didn't they? They really did, yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting, isn't it? Like there are different islands where I expect the reaction was different. So different tribes would be more welcoming to the Europeans as they arrived. So the thing I remember from, I think it was Bahamas episode, was they have a wave of migration from South America into these islands. So I think those are likely to have been culturally and temperamentally similar, I suppose, which is if you have come out in a wave of aggressive expansion, you might be aggressive in the defense of that expansion. Uh, this is speculation on my part, but uh, I'd be welcome to hear from any anthropologist out there who can tell us about how that how that works over there uh, I, th- I think i'm having a faint bell ringing in my head that at the end of the seven years war france was given a choice uh, you could have one of these two back and it was either canada or guadeloupe i think you might want to get the lady to check this mm-hmm. but the french decided that the the tiny island in the Caribbean was worth more to them than canada which is not all of canada now but sort of the eastern bit of canada Hello. This is the voice of the internet. His honour, the judge, is correct. After the defeat of France in the Seven Years' War the British captured all French colonies in the Americas. Markets in the North American colonies were now opened to accept Guadeloupian sugar which was traded for foodstuffs and timber. This created vast wealth for the French colonists. In fact, it became so prosperous that France forfeited its Canadian colonies in exchange for the return of Guadeloupe. Immediately the French began planting coffee and cocoa both of which also became major export products. Thank you. So they really saw value in it? Oh, yes. So the British did something similar in with the Banda Islands, which are spice islands in the Pacific, I think, uh, which they exchanged for Manhattan. Oh, really? 
and then it's you can own it's it's a kind of an interesting reflection on value so you can own a place based on how willing you are to fight for it who you've got there or just yeah. by exchange of booze and the raising of a flag of the team yeah so what are you doing i'm fanning myself with what a flip-flop <laughs> uh, a my notes R- right okay good So it strikes me that as much as it's a beautiful tropical island, you've got mountains and this rugged environment that that they really struggled with. They were able to, you know, Fedon and his men were able to withstand British forces for two years through guerrilla warfare by hiding in and amongst the trees and using that to their advantage, the environment to their advantage. And it's a tiny island. So I thought about that as you were talking about it, because we've on a few occasions come to these quite paradise-like in modern terms places. And actually the reality when these were being discovered by Europeans at least were were quite hostile environments. They're not like I just sat on the beach and plucked a coconut and had a lovely old time Mm. while someone played a ukulele around the corner. It's They were hard, hard living and dying for a long time. Uh, It's it's only paradise because when you're taking the photo, you've got a five-star resort behind you. That does help a lot. It does, yeah. And that, that's that that that's what it is. You know, the the nature of sandy beaches is is not really that much there. No, and if you're a nineteen-year-old midshipman from Cornwall in England <laughs> that's never left their village, yeah, what an extraordinary situation to find them. In. I mean, surely the closest thing is traveling into space, right? And just well, exactly. Someone says. Go get some food, and you're looking at a banana going, Is that food? I don't know. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, I, I think the whole concept of these desert islands is, 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 is a really modern thing. Yeah, maybe, man. maybe it was sort of romanticized by Robinson Crusoe. That's a good point. Yeah. But you said something, Ryan, that just really resonated with me because I thought it last week, which was you said it's like going to space. And my thought was the opposite of that, which is you live on an island and these people come on this ship that is of nothing like you've ever seen before well this is the opposite way around they land and you go and they look like nothing you've ever seen they're dressed in these insane clothes Mm. and that experience is as modern people we can't we until aliens land on this planet we will never know this sense of something totally not conceived before by us just arriving (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then just you have to interact with them in some way and Not then you have to decide culture, do i try and point. stab them do i try and learn from them how do i deal with these people are they even people that's uh, that's murder and torture apparently is, is, is the one of the one of the options available <laughs> yeah. certainly because <laughs> that's the other thing On you don't know sides. you don't know how many more there are around the corner right this is this one but wouldn't that, wouldn't they take you around take all your clothes off and probe you isn't that what aliens do to learn about humans if you're lucky other aliens are available <laughs> (laughs) Proby aliens. (laughs) 
moving on, I think we want to get a bit more specific because I was really interested in, you did say earlier, Paul, that it was a story and it really was. It was a st- story of Dr. John Hay. And I was wondering, do we, do we know what happened to him? <laughs> did John Hay live happily ever after? We don't know what happened to right, the so, bad guy, but what about our hero? Well, you said he went to Guadeloupe, didn't you? Yes. And he must live to write it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're spoilers, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> well, it's fun. Do you know what? It's funny. When I was reading the memoirs, that was always in the back of my mind is, is, is does he make it through this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, to keep reminding myself. Well, of course he did. Unless someone took the pen afterwards and was like, this is Barry. John didn't make it. So I'm going to continue in his stead. But I'm guessing the rest of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I, it was fascinating reading that. I mean, I, I had read about Julian Fadon. There is a tremendous wealth of information about Fadon that you can find and read. And it was by happenstance that I was able to find Dr. John Hayes memoirs. So there's the events written in his memoirs. But beyond that, we don't, we don't really know what happened to him. So I, I tried to try and find out a little bit what, what happened to Dr. John Hay. Turns out he became a plantation manager. Uh, but in 1813, he was living in Sloan Street in Middlesex. Uh, so he'd, he'd obviously come back to, to the UK. He died in Chelsea on the 10th of July, 1819. Okay. So he, he was born over here, clearly. He was born in Scotland. Yeah. Scotland, yeah. He was Scottish. Uh, and he was brought in by Ninian Home, the governor, who was also Scottish. I'll take a slight detour and just talk about Ninian Home while he's while he's been raised. So there are documents that suggest that Ninian Home was concerned about the welfare of his slaves. He brought J- Dr. John Hay uh, to treat their illnesses. He allowed pregnant slaves to stop work prior to and after their baby was born. There are letters that show that slaves were given small gardens to cultivate their own food and they were allowed to sell any excess that they had at the market as well. He wrote to one plantation manager, um, this is a quote from him, before I left Grenada, I gave you the best advice I was capable of. Kindness and humanity to the slaves was one of the things I endeavoured to impress most strongly in your mind. They, poor things, are so dependent upon the white people over there, and so much in their power, that wantonly to use that power is the height of cruelty. A manager of a plantation should consider himself as the father of the slaves, and treat them with tenderness. They are human beings as well as ourselves, and very capable of distinguishing between what is right and what is wrong. It's almost like within the rules that he had as the governor, he was stretching them somewhat to accommodate. But maybe maybe he was an economist, so he could see that, you know, you you give people a slightly better life, they go they're going to sort of work better and give give a you know better result because of it. I think this ties into it's a really modern problem that is very current, which is when you look at the sort of cancel culture, there's this sense that anything that is bad renders somebody unacceptable and actually you've got to look at somebody like that in my opinion who has tried to be decent within the context of what they consider to be the rules but they're still awful they're a slave owner they've got slaves and so (laughs) how do you how it's a quite a complex thing to process very nuanced like how do you feel about someone who is still owning slaves and therefore just by definition doing a bad thing but doing it in the best way that they can within the rules of the time because presumably he may have come in for criticism for being so generous with the slaves and not clamping down on them i don't know i'm speculating slightly but there's no, no, a- you, you you speculated correctly uh, he was actually criticized for it however he also campaigned 
heavily for slavery to continue and the slavery system. He wrote repeatedly to his uncle, who was then the MP for Berwickshire, which is in Scotland, to vote against abolition. So, you know, he it's like this weird dichotomy. It's hard to sort of put our modern views onto these people, because as you rightly say, yes, of course, they were living at that time period with totally different culture and values and set of circumstance. But I think that for me, the only thing you can do is see the both, right? You, it's, it's pointless to say this person was good because they clearly weren't. It's mm-hmm. pointless to say this person should have been murdered because they were a slave owner because those were the standards of the time. You just have to look at the whole and go, well, he, he did this thing, but he was also doing these bad things. And that sort of nuanced approach is the only way to approach these things, I think. But I, I worry that culturally in modern times, we seem to be looking for people to be either perfect or demonic and there's no in-between, which is... Well, uh, yeah, yeah, this is... Uh, you know, this is the first stage to re- to rewriting history, in my opinion. You know, you, you, you have to accept... That's... You have to accept, and let's assume that lots of these things are documented from lots of different sources, so we could be pretty certain that the historic record is accurate. Then you have to accept it. To then make judgment calls on things things that happened hundreds of years ago is utterly ridiculous i think the lesson for me is understanding nuance is important Mm -hmm. but also sometimes it makes you ask yourself the question and i invite our listeners to ask themselves the question what is it that i do today that in 100 years time someone will say well that's totally awful why would you do that probably something I'll just finish off on Dr. John Hay. Uh, So he died in 1819. I know this because I was able to find a copy online of his will. He left a will totaling £59,000 plus several estates still in Grenada. I'll just run... That's good money. That's not modern day pounds, presumably. No, that's that's money at the time of 1819. That's a lot of money. So to his sister, Elizabeth, he gave £100 a year and each of her 10 children, he gave £500 each. He also gave £500 each to James Hay, Nancy Hay, John Hay, and Alexander Hay, the, in quotes, children of a Negro woman of Grenada named Fanny, now deceased. His children. So he essentially had a wife. So he acknowledged them at the end. Well, £6,000 plus the leasehold property and the household effects of this place in London to Elizabeth Juna, again, in quotes, a free coloured woman formerly of Grenada, but now residing at my dwelling place in Sloane Street. So he brought her back with him. He brought her back with him. He gave £10,000 each to his and Elizabeth's four daughters. Elizabeth Hay, Sarah Hay, Bridget Georgiana Hay, and Charlotte Hay. He also gave £6,000 plus an estate in oh, Grenada. Oh, come on. This, this money is getting more than £59,000. £6,000 plus an estate in Grenada, plus the enslaved people, to the son of Elizabeth Jr., known as James Thomas Hay. So he had a son as well. So a lot happened after... After the events of the uh, Fidonza Rebellion, uh, he left the rest of his estate to a son of Elizabeth known by the name of George Gunn Hay. 
He was a haymaker. That's very good. <laughs> this adds up to more than £59,000. So the will he first wrote was in 1813 when he returned. By 1819, the time he died, it was more. That's, they are enormous sums of money. Dr. Hay did rather well for himself in the end, by the sounds of it. He's uh, very much happily lived happily ever after. As a plantation manager, yeah, with slaves. With slaves. Well, happily for him. <laughs> for him, yeah. I'd like to challenge you on, first of all, on your calculations about how much the war costs. Because you said, what was it, a quarter of a million pounds was worth 30 million pounds. You're way out. Yeah, I was surprised by that. It seemed a lot less than I thought it would be, given the time distance. Is it? Is it more then? Because it, it was, yeah. It's, a, it's actually pushing 300 million. Oh, wow. Okay. The internet has let me down. <laughs> I tried to do some calculation online and it didn't. It obviously gave me the wrong number. That's why we're not a maths podcast. <laughs> Well, I, 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 well, obviously, I always test things like that when you, give, when, when you talk about figures. Something I could test, I like. No, that, do you know what? That fits more in, in line with the kind of in rate of inflation I would have expected to see. And over. the destruction, the value for the, the place was destroyed from what you were saying. It was distilleries and plantations. I mean, the place was completely wrecked, harbours and all sorts. But 300 million sounds like an awful lot. But then maybe not, I don't know. I think it's 289 million if you look at that. Well, let's round it up and be generous. <laughs> uh, still <laughs> not? 300, not <laughs> 300 million pounds now, that's what... $500 million, all from a two-year rebellion. No wonder Fedon ran. Well, that, that, think about <laughs> it. That's right. Wars wars are incredibly expensive. You know, look, look at recent wars. So $500 million is in, you know, US speak, half a billion dollars, mm. which in terms of wars is not that Too much. But <laughs> mm. I, I want to ask uh, your opinion. What happened to Fedon? Did he did he escape the island? Did he die as he threw himself down the hill? Well, I thought he died in a boat, but nobody knows. Nobody knows. Most people who like conspiracies will always, of course, come up with a much more colourful solution. Well, we came across this when we talked about the Congo. There was that guy who had been captured by, I think it was the French as well there, and they killed him, but they did it in such a way that it wasn't, they, there was nothing, there was no show about it. And he is also now considered to be the guy who's going to come back, even though obviously it's 100 years has passed. And there's that, there's very often with these kind of revolutionary movements, if someone is not proven to have died or been caught or come to any kind of end, mm -hmm. there's this messianic thing. Yeah, it, it seems like it's almost a human need to to have this hope for these kind of characters. Yeah, to have a totem, a figure that you can look at and and, and still, wish yeah, out that, there, that's, still out there looking after us. But yeah, that's superstition, religion, isn't it? The same thing. It's it's all sort of tied in with that feeling of thinking that you you want to have someone controlling those sort of things. What do you think, Pete? Did he did he get off the island? I think he made it. You think he was living in Cuba when he was spotted and I don't think he was no, I don't think he was spotted in Cuba. I think he made it to his sisters and uh Assumed a new identity as a genial grocer. <laughs> Do you think you could be, though, like with that reputation that, that you would have? You'd have to really keep your head down, wouldn't you? I mean, no one would be able to know you were there. You'd think the word would get out. Well, you say that, but if you'd have gone to Martinique's finest 
plantain, boiled beef and breadfruit <laughs> restaurant, you might have seen a familiar figure in the kitchen. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you think Fadon was the chef. Yeah, but <laughs> but I, I, th- I think you have, you have to be logical about this to say he wouldn't have gone to a British island. So he wouldn't have gone to Trinidad. Mm. Because you know there would there would be a grapevine between all the British islands. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so he would have had to have gone to one of the French islands. Yeah, but either way, you're living your life on the run. Yes, which I guess was a bit easier in those days. Yeah, less logins and passwords to to be tracked. Tracking your credit card <laughs> yes. and yeah. your SIM card <laughs> and your phone, and he's bought a he's bought a ticket or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, he I, okay. I, I'm not so sure. There's something not right about finding the rowboat with the compass in it that was pointing in the direction of the... Yeah, it just all feels a bit made up. Well, if it was a compass, it was pointing in the direction of north. No, the boat was pointing in the direction of oh. of the island. <laughs> um, what, what, so it was fixed, was it, this boat? So the sea was perfectly calm and the boat had never changed its course? I don't know. I think there's just a part of me that feels like throwing yourself from the top of a mountain. Bear in mind that the Jaeger Battalion were using their sabres as ladders to climb, right? It kind of, it's a pretty steep slope. Well, the, you know, there's a history of people jumping off cliffs in that island. Well, there are. Yeah, exactly. Main point, key takeaway, I would not expect Fedon to arrive anytime soon. Mm. Yes, he's dead now. Let's talk about prison food. Yes. Now, I enjoyed very much the prison food. Uh, did we send... I don't think we sent Mr. Dursley any prison food, did we? I don't think it would have kept, if I'm honest, another hour. Well, I can attest to that because I did take some home. And then the following day, what I had on my hands was a grey gelatinous cube. <laughs> <laughs> having i and i remain on record as saying it was quite tasty that the the night of making it was yeah. Uh, although you threw in a sympathy scotch bonnet i'm aware yeah but actually it was pretty tasty i enjoyed it but it did not pass the test of time very well everything kind of broke down into this uniform goo yeah and which is what you would have been fed as the yeah prisoner. it looked a lot more like prisoner food the next day you would have been fed like <laughs> yesterday's stuff yeah and and that was i i, I thought yeah okay yeah now now i'm in dr john hayes shoes i'm looking at this and thinking i'm just going to do a pizza instead yeah and what about you paul like would you have you know how do you feel about eating boiled beef and plantain? Uh, anything that's gray is a bit off-putting isn't it you should be off-putting i know i should <laughs> <laughs> no um would you have tried it like would you have been happy if we'd sent you a bowl not with the scotch bonnet in i wouldn't mm. no that's uh, fair okay I, I i don't mind a little bit of heat but Scotch bonnet, no. And that really was quite hot as well, wasn't it? Like, I mean, just one scotch bonnet really gave it a kick. It was lively. It, it was a, lively, it a, a lively dish. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, isn't it about three, billi- three million on the Scoble scale? And so a normal chilli is only about 50,000. Mm. What about the grenade and punch? Would you have had some of that? Uh, well, it just sounds like a, any, any Caribbean cocktail. I felt like I was sitting by the pool with the girls, with all the straws going into a very big cocktail bowl. Mm. But it was just me. It was just you. He finished the entire bowl. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. What, a litre of rum? Well, we, no, it was split half. between two. Yeah, it was split between two. So he had... Half a litre of rum? That's, that's a pint. More than that. It's 150 millilitres of lemon. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> a lot of lemon. I know, honestly, my scurvy so just disappeared overnight. how many lemons overnight. did you squeeze? How many lemons did you squeeze? Eight or nine? It's a lot of lemons. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, it's a good job. I mean, I think eating the same food, any food, again and again and again for over a month is going to be... I'm relatively soft on that. I don't mind eating the same food over and over again, but the the sort of collapse of the food (laughs) into this sort of monoculture, because when you gave it to me on the night, the breadfruit tasted of one had one texture, the plantain had a different texture, there were bits of meat in it. The following day, the meat had just disappeared somehow (laughs) into the sort of... Just dissolved, I guess. The breadfruit and the plantain had kind of decomposed into a very similar texture. So the whole thing had this just... just so there this, was, it was just full of water. Yeah, wasn't it? It was so just, it would have absorbed all that water and just turned to yeah. Mush. I, that that overnight stay made all the difference. That texture sounds horrible. It was not ideal. And that gelatinous is ooh. Yeah, well, I'm surprised about the gelatinous part because there really wasn't very much fat in it, apart from in the in the corned beef. It was in the fridge. Bear in mind, so that would have. They would have solidified, bit, solidified it a bit. Yeah, no, it? that's fair. So a huge thanks again to Doxacycline from Reddit, who was able to give us the ingredient and the method on how to cook all this. Is okay. a- well, it sounds like they got it right in terms of prison food then. But yeah, I think a day so. later. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when you Served with it, a side of sadness... 24 hours later, I think, is what you need. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, you think, right? I cooked it for us and I boiled it for two hours, they would have had a massive cauldron where it was just cooking over an open fire for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, until... it would. Yeah, it would, well, given it's the same thing, basically, they just top it. I would top it up every day. Uh, yeah, they? probably. Which... So it's a bit like it's a bit like the Solara system of sherry. You know, you get you could argue that you've got a bit of sherry in your bottle that's 200 years old. Oh, is that what they do with that? Is it? Yeah, because. Oh, okay. so, there are some restaurants as well, aren't there, that have like a stew pot that's just continual. Yeah, it's called a Marmite in French. Oh, is it? Okay, interesting. Is that why the Marmite brand has that's the why there's pot a on it? Pot on oh, it, yes, okay. it's a Marmite. And it's a little label, that's interesting. In terms of the food, though, not uh, terribly non-nutritious. Yeah, I didn't not feel much like meat, but... it was doing me any harm, to be honest. I think the amount of it and just the flavour, just the, con- the consistency of, of having it every every meal. If you're hungry enough, though, I suppose you'd be like, yay, it's much time. By the sounds of it, though, it sounds like even Dr. John Hay was suffering from some sort of stomach complaint. Yes, that was not... That's not what you want whilst enjoying your prison experience. Not in the stocks. In the stocks, right next to other people as well. <laughs> I, I like it. I like this idea of you know. Excuse me, can I go to the lavatory, please? Mm. I think I, th- I think if I was the French, I'd just say, "Well, do your business there." I feel like you'd make an excellent prison guard, Paul. <laughs> Why do you say that? Just have the right level of uh, lack of concern for human comfort. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, Pete, can I discuss the Smurfs? I think you should discuss the Smurfs. We uh, posited that the Smurfs may have been radical revolutionaries. So for those people that are unaware of the Smurfs, they are small little woodland mythical creature folk, right, that were part of a cartoon that were drawn by a Belgian artist called Puyo. And they are blue-skinned. They have a white cap. It's called a Thirigian cap, I believe. It is called a Phrygian cap. Phrygius is the name of an ancient group of people. They lived in the Balkans region of Eastern Europe. So, so Greece, Turkey, Romania, and they 
died out actually around 400 CE. And in the 18th century, some French revolutionists adopted their cap as a sign of liberty. Liberty bonnet is another name for it. Uh, but they'd picked the wrong one. <laughs> what they actually wanted was the Pilius hat, which was like a brimless hat made of felt, uh, worn originally by ancient Greek sailors, but also by freed slaves in ancient Rome. When a slave was freed, their head was shaved and they would wear a pileus to keep their head warm or out of the sun. And as such, the hat then became like a sign of freedom and liberty. So somewhere along the line, during the French Revolution, the Phrygian hat was adopted as a symbol of freedom, but it should have been the pileus cap. 150 years later, Peyo creates the Smurfs and he continues that mistake by also giving them the wrong hat. So how similar are these? Have you looked at pictures of both these? Are they easily mistaken for one another? Similar. One's like a cone that you might put on your head. A dunce's cap. Kind of, yeah, like a dunce's cap. Um, and the other one is, it's, it goes up into it like a cone, but it bends forward at the front. It sort of flops over. Yeah, it flops over at the front. In terms of their skin colour, because we, I said, I posited that maybe them being blue was a sign of the French as well, because the French army wore blue at uh, that time. And so I looked it up and Janine Culliford, who was the colourist for Peo. And he had a blue pen. <laughs> she says it was a process of elimination. She said green would have mixed them up under the foliage, so you wouldn't have been able to see them in the comics. Uh, yellow would make them look ill. And if they were pink, they would seem embarrassed. And if they were red, readers would think they were angry. So they, she, she's just <laughs> settled just on blue. blue. because Well, that makes sense because there's a long, proud history of blue aliens in sci-fi. It's blue is the only skin colour, I guess sometimes green, but the blue comes across as quite a plausible skin colour, doesn't it? Um, while you're thinking about that, let me talk about the, the conspiracy that we started, which is that the Smurfs were French revolutionaries. Well, we weren't right, but we weren't <laughs> far wrong either, because there is a conspiracy theory about the Smurfs. It started around about 2008, where there was a YouTube video uh, by a guy called Evan Topham, who made this documentary. Smurf historian. Yes, yeah. Uh, where basically he sort of summed up a lot of ideas that he'd found on the internet, which surmised that the Smurfs were actually communist and they had communist values. And so it points out sort of similarities between the ideal communist society and that of the Smurfs, that they are all self-sufficient in running their own community. Very few factory owners. They function without money. Each Smurf works for the good of everyone and their leader, who apparently bears a passing resemblance to Karl Marx and loves the colour red. He's, I think he's the only one with a red cap. He does have a red hat, doesn't he? Yeah, he says that uh, Gargamel, the greedy, ruthless villain of the Smurfs, uh, he represents capitalism. His only concern is with his own personal gratification. He's what happens when an individual makes himself more important than the society he lives in. Anyway, so it goes on to say that, you know, the Smurfs uh, were part of a ploy to influence children during the Cold War. <laughs> they even propose that Smurf is actually an acronym for small men under red forces, which doesn't make sense. Uh, the original name for the Smurfs in French was Strumpf. Also, why would that be entirely in English? Even if it was Smurf, you wouldn't be small men under red forces. It would be petit homme sous force rouge. Anyway, it it it's it has become a bigger thing. 2011, there was an, a, a more mainstream film that was created by a French academic, Antoine Bueno, who uh, said that the Smurfs and their ideology represented Stalinist, uh, anti-Semitic and racist leanings. 
That's a leap from... See, I'm down with the communists because they live in a commune. So I'm actually quite happy that I doesn't have to be necessarily to the point where this guy represents Karl Marx and this represents capitalism. But they are a village of people who work to help each other, which one might argue are some of the tenets of communism and self-interest isn't really the main driver. And that is... A, I think that's a fair thing to say about the Smurfs. I'm not sure... <laughs> <laughs> not where the anti-Semitic stuff comes in, but I'm open. I'm open to what you're about to tell me. I can't say anything because when I was a kid, the Smurfs, I just didn't understand it. It was I just sort of saw them and thought, mm, no. I mean, for me, one of the main confusions about the Smurfs, and possibly one of the more problematic aspects of the Smurfs, is there is only one girl Smurf, which seems odd. Why would it not? Well, she be was a created, creator, wasn't she? She wasn't born. Wasn't she was she? created by Gargamel. Yeah. Oh, what really? Yeah, that's canon. <laughs> Smurf canon. How much Smurf research have you done? <laughs> She's did the you only already one. know that? She's the only one that we know has hair. So how do they reproduce? Well, this is the question of the Smurfs. Mitosis, presumably. Yeah, I guess so. Just They're magical creatures, pop. they just appear, yeah. And that. I mean, I, I wasn't against the Smurfs. It never really caught my imagination. Uh, but the Snorks, I was a fan of. Sorry, what's a Snork? The Snorks, I think, were the spin-off, the... Uh, spin-off of the yeah, Smurfs? the dollar store version of the Smurfs, yeah. I the don't even snorks. know if it was by the same... Snorks, yeah, and they were underwater. So it was like the Smurfs. They were a group of, you know, a commune of, of these little magical creatures. And they had a snorkel that the came snorks. from their head. Just this has blown my mind. So, honestly, I'm still reeling from the Gargamel made Smurfette revelation. They were called the Snorks. A race of small, colourful, plankton-like creatures that live happily in the undersea world of Snorkland. Can we do the verdict? So we've rambled around, we've talked about Smurfs, we've talked about Dr. John Hay, we've talked about how one owns an island or otherwise. But what this is all about is the verdict. So, Paul, are you ready to deliver your judgment? Yes, I think I'll do it in two phases this time. Oh, I see. Would you like to describe your two phases to us before we begin? Well, it's going to be the classic school report, attainment and effort. Attainment oh, no. And effort. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm so nervous. I don't know why I'm nervous, but I, I genuinely am. He's the judge. He's the judge. Paul Dursley is the judge. It's time for his judgment. Judging all the things we does. Yeah. All rise for the judge. All right. So, uh, Paul, uh, in terms of effort, how do you feel about Ryan's effort this time around? I'm afraid it's a D. A D for effort? Uh, well, I know why. It's because I just read from a book. When you found the treasure chest, you don't keep looking around for more treasure chests. You just <laughs> load up your bag and go home, don't you? Let me guess. Dr. John Hay, he gets an A+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are, are, you, are you going to storm off this time? <laughs> Wow, a surprising low mark for effort. I as It's not as, a great start, mate. I'm going to work on behalf of the defence here. I think that is shocking. I think you should acknowledge that just because he found an excellent resource does not mean he has to then do more. He found an excellent resource and got an excellent podcast out of it. Judge's decision is final. Oh, and this is a curious turnaround. Now you're on his side. <laughs> but hey, look, that's just the first one. It's going to get better from here. That is true. That is true. So attainment onto the, which is, I think, the main point of these things. So, it's all very well trying hard, but attainment is the, really what you end up with so how do you feel about the attainment attainment paul i think i think the attainment merits a 
B plus. Whoa. It's a B plus. I was Ooh. right. It gets better. It does get better. That's excellent. And I think that is highly deserved and it reflects uh, all of Dr. John Hayes' hard efforts. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, you. <laughs> but uh, we can't just live in this world split by attainment and effort. We must have a final grade. So, Paul, oh, no. can I put you on the spot to give us the final grade for Ryan Weir's Panic in Grenada, 1750 to 1800? C plus. I'm okay with that. That's good. C plus. I like that. That's almost a B. I still feel that's harsh, but uh, as you say, the judge's decision is final. Hey, given my previous grades, this is great. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> no, I think it's cool. I, I'm, I'm, I'm. No, I, 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 I think the attainment grade is fair. Right. And, and so is the effort grade, actually. But the attainment grade is, I think, for the first time in many episodes that and perhaps this was verisimilitude um that the sort of the time period was right um the country was right and then the thing panic and uh, actually the your the story was brilliant to align it with panic i have i have to give you that but you didn't have to stop there well i'm just going to reiterate the story was brilliant I felt that as well. I really enjoyed it. And extra points for an amazing soundscape. You really took us there. I thought that was really excellent. Thank you. Apart from why was there Hawaiian music? (laughs) (laughs) It was Caribbean music. That's not Caribbean music. You need steel pans for Caribbean music. That was sort of like Hawaiian guitar. Well, I mean, look, it said Caribbean music in the in the title when I downloaded it so I'm going to stick to that did you feel hot listening to the music (laughs) close enough for jazz as they say he's the judge he's the judge Paul Dursley is the judge it's time for his judgment judging all the things we does yeah yeah All right, that is enough. Uh, I think that's our show for this week. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch about anything we've talked about or if you want to just say hi, reach out to us on social media through our website at hhepodcast.com or you can email us peteandryan at hhepodcast.com. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. So one way to definitely feature on a future episode is to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or to send us your feedback. Your recommendation can really help us bring the show to new listeners, such as uh, Professor Alex, who says a great episode, even if it goes very dark after the light rum punch beginning. A professor. A professor, no less. Exciting. Okay, and if you're on TikTok or Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, you can find us at HAT Podcast. And if you subscribe to those, you're going to get an alert every time we post one of our little one minute animated bites. And we'll be back again soon, back to regularly scheduled programming. Uh, In the meantime, if you can't get enough of the show, well, um, who could blame you? Uh, You can check out our back catalogue of episodes, which you can find in your podcast app at YouTube or at our website, hhepodcast.com. All right. So a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul Dursley. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure. And that's it. I guess all that is left to say is... You've been listening to... History Happened Everywhere. The verdict. Out of office. Okay, right, let's just move on to the next round. Okay, (laughs) Paul, we're starting with you. Quantum gravity. Super strings. Guitars. Telephones. Bells. Bongs. Weed. Poo. (laughs) Emoji. Okay. Patrick, Stu- Patrick Stewart. No, you don't get that. We, there was a hesitation there. All right, moving on to the next one. Pete, pentaquarks. <laughs> Flavour. 
bottom. What do with that? Quarks come in flavours. Quarks come in flavours. Yes, they do. All right. Okay. Well, I'll allow, I'll allow ah, it. Physics, my friend. I'll allow it. So, so I, I then said bottom. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Uh, Paul, the Birch and Swinnerton Dyer conjecture. Bottom. <laughs> Why is bottom in every one of your word associations? Okay, start it again. Okay. The Birch and Swinnerton Dyer conjecture. Oh, the Tanner Batch paradox. Go back to conjecture. Zeno's paradox. The ship of Theseus. The broom of trigger. Four candles. <laughs> Sausages. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was an intense round, man. That was a really intense round. That was amazing. All right, last one then. Here we go. All right, last round. This is to win the prize. <laughs> <laughs> Prize may or may not exist. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, who, st- who started last time? Paul started last time. Okay, so it's you this time. Okay. Okay, here we go. Ready? Mm-hmm. Paul Dursley. Wisdom. Truth. Impossible. Fallacy. Cocky. <laughs> 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 I realise how what you could do after I said it, yes. <laughs> All right, one last one. Here we go. Paul, for you. A Jeroboam of Chateau Mouton Rothschild, 1945. Lovely. Jubbly. Bubbly. <laughs> Matey. <laughs> Bath time. Fun. Sunday. Ice cream. Cornet. Trumpet. Trumpet. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a word. <laughs> you filthy old man. Most of that round was brought to you by Confessions of a Taxi Driver. <laughs> Amazing. Can't use any of that. (laughs) Bottom.